Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. Severance, Season 1, Episode 5, The Grim Barbarity of Optics and Design is the episode I will be talking about, I will be breaking down, and I will be spoiling for anybody that has not seen the episode and don't want to be spoiled. I wouldn't recommend listening. But for those who are here for what I'm doing, welcome. And let's get it started. As we left off in the last episode, Heli was hanging herself in the elevator. And this episode opens with Heli hanging in the elevator from her perspective. Her Audi waking up, becoming conscious, taking over as the elevator goes down, seeing that she is... So it like shows the elevator go down, her trying to like fight fight out, clearly aware what her innie is is up to, is trying to do. Uh the elevator goes up. Uh Mark, who's at the elevator about to leave for the day, elevator opens, he sees Heli hanging there, goes in to save her. Grainer you see running through the hallways. He he's clearly saw her on the surveillance cameras. And he shows up uh, just after Mark to help Mark out. Uh, and Grainer just, you know, tries to hide the extension cord in the ceiling real quick. Uh, kind of brings Heli out, lay her on the, the ground in that little lobby area there. Uh, and then Grainer forcing Mark into the elevator for him to leave. Right? Because it's, that elevator having them switch out. Or kind of stops stops them so it gives them time to figure out what they're going to do. So they put Mark in the elevator. Of course, you see his emotions change, his face change as he goes through the elevator down to, to leave work. Uh, and as if he didn't just see his co-worker try to kill herself. Uh, next day, Mark goes to work. Opens the door, and in that little lobby area, like right when he goes up the elevator, you see his emotions change again. And you see him like concerned and worried. The doors open, and he sees Milchik and Cobell in that little lobby area. And they tell him that Heli has been taken to the hospital. She's going to be fine. She's going to be back in a couple days. Mark is confused because clearly it's so clear that Heli should not be there. She's been trying to quit in every single way. Mark has caught her trying to pass notes through the thing. She's submitted you know, requests to be resi re resign. Obviously, she got the video from her Audi in the last episode telling her that she's not a person and that this is her life now, that she needs, needs to deal with it. And Mark's told again that she will not be resigning that her Audi wants to keep her there, which is just insane. It's just insane that that's like the level that's going to happen where it's like you can commit, you can, you can attempt suicide and they will still not let you leave. And when they're leaving, Cobell and Milt Cobell makes it Mark's responsibility. This happened on your watch, Mark. This is what happens when we leave you in charge instead of, Right. This is the this is the thing that managers do in all jobs. They like to not take responsibility. They like to pa pa pass the buck. 
right? It's, it's Mark's responsibility. That's the reason why this person tried to kill herself because Mark, which is a shitty thing to put on Mark. It is a shitty thing to put on Mark. Somebody who's any has already kind of experienced a loss with Petey disappearing, just not showing up, and now this person that, that's come in to replace Petey in a lot of ways to be that extra person in MDR almost died as well. And, and it's not, not great necessarily for Mark's mental state. Uh, so we see Mark, he goes to his desk, he digs the book out of his file cabinet where he has it hidden, and we have this montage of Mark reading Rickon's book through the course of multiple days. So I would imagine throughout the week, Mark is taking this book into the bathroom and reading it, and we get a montage of things that he's reading uh, from this book. So let's play that clip. What is it to fail? My failure to break into the literary world in my 20s was devastating, yet it taught me a vital lesson, that it was not me who was wrong, but literature itself, and that to truly find my place in that world, I would first need to break it entirely. And so I did. A society with festering workers cannot flourish, just as a man with rotting toes cannot skip. What separates man from machine is that machines cannot think for themselves. Also, they are made of metal, whereas man is made of skin. If you are a soldier, do not fight for my freedom. Fight for the freedom of the soldier fighting next to you. This will make the war more inspiring for you both. A good person will follow the rules. A great person will follow himself. Bullies are nothing but bull and lies at the center of industry is dust they cannot crucify you if your hand is in a fist should you find yourself contorting to fit a system dear reader stop and ask if it's truly you that must change or the system so for Mark's any this is like revolutionary information right for an any they have no connection to anything outside of work their existence has only ever consisted of being at this job constantly Con no naps no sleeping no breaks no leaving constantly endlessly at work all of the information has been fed to them all of them for the most part, are existing based on this religious doctrine written by Keir Egan, the, the founder of Lumen. The handbook is their, their Bible, basically. So this is like the first piece of information that is giving him information and contradicting not only the, the things that he's kind of been indoctrinated into being severed, but also you know, waking you up to the reality of corporations and what corporations do. And, and it's kind of funny because it's, it's very, I mean, as people that live and exist in the world, we've heard all of these things before, but the way Rickon writes it is very comical. 
very comical, but for Mark, it is revolutionary because this is like, this is this is like very new, inspiring stuff, and uh, just a montage of of Mark. You can tell now that he is he's existing in this place that uh, does clearly doesn't care about people. He's seeing that firsthand with with Helly's situation. Um, he's starting to open his mind to new possibilities, and this book is is allowing that to uh, be be uh, introduced to a lot of new ideas and a lot of new thoughts. Cut to Cobell in her office. Uh, Grainer brings the chip back uh, and says that it was into reintegration; that she was right, Harmony was right about that, uh, and. Uh, she has yet to tell the board about not only about that, but also has not told the board about Helly's situation, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and uh, she's uh, she's basically telling Grainer not to worry about the whole Helly thing. She's got that. She's she's handling that, but to focus on who did handled the reintegration for Petey. She wants to find that out. She wants to collect all the information first before going to the board. Clearly, in a lot of ways, Harmony Cobell is going rogue. She is working. She's trying to do as much as possible without her. Very similar to what Mark is doing in some ways, right? They're both keeping secrets from the people that are above them. Uh, and uh, Harmony's not doing anything different. In some ways, probably trying to cover her own tracks. Maybe she feels responsible for what happened with Petey. Maybe she is responsible for how, what happened with Petey. Um, so, anyway, she's trying to get that all situated before she takes it to the board. Um... Cut to now, Mark is off work, uh, and as he goes to his locker room, he sees his phone. He's got tons of missed calls from Rickon. Uh, obviously, Devin has gone into labor, uh, and there's cycling through all these messages from Rickon, kind of breaking down each step of the process. Uh, Mark needs to go meet with them at the birthing retreat which we saw in the previous episode, Mark was looking at the retreat online, and uh, he shows up, and of course, as he's about to go in, he is greeted with his date that he was on, who is a midwife, who is his sister's midwife, uh, Alexa apparently is her name, and she greets Mark outside the door, apparently uh, she's going into contractions, Rickon is crying over her, as one of the kind of crazy things that they do in that family, uh, or my, like it's weird, the the kind of alternative like lifestyles and things like having all the different beds for the kids, the fact they're going to a birthing, like it's it's weird to conceptualize what reality is like outside of Lumen whether it's common practice by most people or if Rickon and Devin are just kind of that extreme 
kind of like hippy dippy kind of family that are doing these things where it kind of feels like some of this uh, in general maybe society is more hippy dippy in this future world uh but it, it's it's kind of tough to know either way he's crying over or whatever whatever uh mark goes inside and uh there's a thing one of the hippy dippy things it, that rickon tells mark is that uh you should tell secrets because secrets purifies the world for the the child to it encourages the child to be born because the the aura of whatever is more pure uh which is just crazy but mark doesn't want doesn't like kind of caught off guard doesn't really know any secrets offhand so rickon decides to share one himself which he is upset that mark has not said anything about the book that he was given a week ago and of course mark it marks audi has no idea about the book which is interesting right because we know obviously as any is obsessed with this book inside uh but it was taken by cobell by uh well, the, the other Cobell, Selvig. When she's on the outside, she's Selvig. Um, so, yeah. So, Mark doesn't know anything about it and just assumes it was stolen, uh, which kind of bums Rickon out, obviously. Uh, but that was his secret that he told. Um, Devin contractions kind of ends they subside for a while she wants to go out and get some coffee uh and on her way out uh she's while she, as she leaves rickon asks mark if he wants to help him hang some kelp which they don't really get into the the reasonings for hanging kelp uh as devon leaves she goes she sees her neighbor in, in the neighboring cabin which is a, like a mansion compared to the cabin that she's in. It's a much wealthier family is in this cabin. Uh, the husband kind of just ignores Devin as she's trying to get his attention to see if they have coffee. Uh, and as he leaves, she sees the pregnant woman inside. And then kind of they say hello through the window. And, you know, she asks if she has coffee that she can have. She goes in. They kind of have a little bonding thing. She mentions kind of asks you know uh, you know clearly they're in a, a very swanky cabin at this birthing retreat you must have money never really answers whether obviously she has money in this kind of cabin it's her third child versus Devin. it's her first uh so they're kind of bonding over that type of thing uh cut back to mark and rick and hanging kelp literally like string going across the room and then close pinning wet kelp to it. Wacky, wacky. And Rickon's like kind of positive about his book being stolen, that the thief is probably going to uh, get a lot of benefit from reading that book and will probably turn himself in after having read it. Uh, that's just kind of how Rickon views himself, views the, the work he does. Uh, and he mentions that uh, the baby was going to be named after Mark's uh, dead wife. And Mark didn't want that because of he didn't want the name to have the name would have too much baggage. Right. Rickon wanted to honor his wife by giving it that name to. And it's just it's just another example of Mark 
never having dealt with that tragedy, never just going and hiding from it, which is probably just extending the suffering that he has outside of Lumen instead of, you know, because time wounds all heals, heals all wounds. And he doesn't have that. He's not spending as much time processing what happened. So what the healing that may have taken a year or two years in reality is probably going to be stretched out to like decades, right? Because he's never really processing it in he's just hiding from it mentally but an interesting little tidbit of that the name was potentially going to be uh, of his late wife and now a quick word from our sponsor now you can wear the many faces original art by ray taylor select pieces from the ongoing series of abstract ink paintings all products made with high quality materials made right here in the usa Go to inspireddisorder.com slash TMF merch to browse the entire collection and save yourself an extra 10% when you check out by using coupon code RTSTMF. So once again, go to inspireddisorder.com slash TMF merch and save 10% when you use coupon code RTSTMF. And now back to our show. Uh, cut to uh, Devin comes back, uh, finds Mark in the bedroom. Uh, and uh, she mentions that maybe you should go ask the... She kind of throws out, go ask the uh, neighbor to see if she, she wants to go on a date. Mark, you know, obviously, I think she's taken. Uh, then Devin mentions again that she sh he should probably ask out uh, Alexa again, her, her midwife, uh, in which Mark pretty much knows that... He's pretty confident that that wouldn't be a good... A worthwhile thing it probably wouldn't work out the way she she would anticipate because he knows how mark how he acted on that date you know they confronted the protesters and whatnot uh she starts having contractions again uh so mark you know offers like oh maybe i should tell a secret you want me to tell a secret and he opens up about uh thinking lumen might be up to something and just as he's about to start telling her about Petey, it goes, it, 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 it escalates. She's, she's going into labor. So he doesn't get a chance to really divulge everything. He just begins to, it's like, you know, that businessman, and then cut to, it's the next morning. In the background, you're hearing Devin giving birth. Mark is sitting outside on the, the shoreline of this lake that the birthing retreat is at. The sun's coming up. And he's, I don't know if he's thinking about it, but the, the camera cuts to Petey's phone that is still in that box at Mark's house ringing. Another block number. You know, obviously, he was just about to bring it up, so maybe he's thinking about it, thinking about that phone still ringing in his apartment cut to now mark is back at work and he's meeting with milchick and milchick is telling him that heli is coming back and this will be her first this will be heli's innies first reintroduction to work like this will be her f since hanging herself this will be her first 
her next memory. Uh, and he tells Mark that uh, he should have, he should show her kind eyes. And he asks Mark if he can do kind eyes. And uh, kind of awkward. But let's play that clip real quick. She was in Audi form at the time she woke up. So this will be Annie Haley's first conscious experience since the hanging. When she sees you, it's important your eyes be kind. Do you know how to make your eyes kind? The most awkward kind eyes. I mean, Mark being put in this position as the, the head of the department, like, and him trying to be that go-between between the employees that are working there and the mission, the things that he is being told to do by Cobell and by Milchik. It's just he is unable to filter that. Like, he is not a good corporate puppet. Let's put it that way. He is incapable of being disingenuous. Like, it is, he is, there is such a big disconnect. Clearly, Heli sees right through Mark. Like, she doesn't buy all this false sympathy, false caring. And Mark is, like, trying to connect with her. For a lot of reasons, like I'm sure he sympathizes with her situation. Uh, you know, he is still kind of processing uh, PD disappearing. And just there's probably a lot of things going on for Mark anyway. But his inability to kind of be that fake corporate person is so it is so well communicated with his inability to do these kind eyes. Um, but he goes to the elevator to wait for heli elevator opens she's gasping on the floor of the elevator because the last thing she knew so her last memory was extension cord around her neck kicked out the trash can and then passed out at some point on her way back up before mark and and grainer found her so now she's just went from hanging to being on the floor gasping for air and mark is there and you know asks her if she's okay and tries to do the kind eyes and it is again extremely awkward it is like the acting necessary to pull off how awkward it is for him attempting clearly it looks like he's attempting to do kind eyes but it's like it's almost it is so fake it is it is like such fake compassion that is so typical in corporate settings when you have like a manager or supervisor having to pretend to feel compassion for your situation uh when they clearly couldn't care less um mark tells her that you know, they go and they talk and he tells her that the extension cords are no longer. They've been locked up along with all the dangerous stuff. Uh, and that he that she can if she wants, she can just focus on happy numbers for a while instead of finding the scary numbers, which she laughs at that because that's just ridiculous. And he asks if she wants to talk. You know, because obviously it's a big situation, but she doesn't trust Mark, so she just gets up and she leaves. Cut to Irving. Irving is concerned, as Irving always is. He, he suggests that they should give her 
you know, random quotes from the the uh, in, random inspirational quotes from the handbook, because, of course, Irving loves quoting the handbook. So many people love quoting the handbook, the the Bible, as it were, of Lumen, the Lumen Bible. The thing that Cobell seems to quote constantly is the it's almost every time she's asked a question, she answers with a quote. Uh, Casey, Miss Casey, has been tasked with watching Helly to report on any bad feelings that she may have, signs of sadness. And Casey, Miss Casey is a weird character because she is so robotic. She definitely feels dead inside. Like, definitely shows compassion as the person who's in charge of wellness. That kind of makes sense, but definitely has a android robotic vibe to her. And she's being tasked with with watching Heli, like literally just while Heli's working, sitting three to five feet behind her, watching her taking notes like you want to make somebody who's already suicidal, who hates their job, who's been trying to get out of here constantly to have the added pressure the added stress of somebody literally just watching your every move taking notes with your every move you're seeing heli just like clearly starting to lose it like picking eyelashes out as she's pretending to do work sitting at her desk just an insane kind of a situation uh, and, of course, she can request a hug if she needs, if she feels like that would uh, at all help her, which is just so ridiculous. Um, we see Irving start to clearly start to doze off again because he starts to hallucinate this black sludge dripping from the ceiling, dripping out of Mark's eye, just like completely having the same type of hallucination as before of this black sludge stuff. He wakes up, didn't get caught by Miltrick this time, but Irving wakes up and tells Mark that he needs to go talk to, talk to Bert. He needs to go to O and D and talk to Bert about what's going on. Uh, and Mark tells him to make him a copy of the map in case they need to go find him later. So while he is while Irving is making a copy of this map, which they're not supposed to have, instead of the map coming out, two prints of a painting come out and the painting is of the OND department during this coup that Dylan heard of that Dylan is worried that's going to happen. The reason why Dylan is so untrusting of Bert and untrusting of the O&D department. And Milchik shows up, right? Milchik shows up right when Irving sees these paintings kind of taken back. Milchik shows up and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, those are mine. They were a joke, quote unquote, for Cobell, which, you know, doesn't make sense. But in this world, it's like they, they have so little to like like asking questions and being critical and and questioning anything they they would say is is not really part of the thing right they they know what they have to do to stay in line and and going with the flow is kind of one of those things um 
And Dylan again, distrusting Bert. He's like, "Let's. This is what's. This is what they want to do. This is what they did." And this painting is somehow proof. Milchik goes going back to his office. He sees Cobell there, and Cobell's like, "Oh, you ran." I see that you ran a 2.66 on Irving. And Milchek did that because he wants to dissuade Irving from spending so much time with Bert. So they don't really say what the 2.66 is, but it seems like the 2.66 is like sending, it seems like sending propaganda, right? Sending this painting to the copier, knowing that Irving is at the copier, sending this propaganda to the copier to be printed out that shows the O&D department killing the MDR department, right? Which is adds to Dylan's paranoia, but is meant to scare Irving from wanting to associate with Bert. I assume that's what the 266 is. Uh, and then Milchik asks... Uh, Cobell, why she's giving Miss Casey the task of watching Heli. And of course, we get another ominous quote from the the handbook, I'm sure. Another ear Keegan Egan quote. Play the clip. I saw Miss Casey down there. You're having her watch Heli R. May I ask why? The light of discovery shines truer upon a virgin meadow than a beaten path. I'm trying something new with Miss Casey. Keep it between us. So yet again, another secret that Cobell is doing using Miss Casey. I would assume so Miss Casey is a tool for them to get information from people. And by that quote is that they will be able to learn more from Miss Casey studying Heli than they would from Miss Casey studying the other employees that have been there a long time. Like Heli is the virgin uh, do or the the whatever she said. I didn't even... You know, she's she is the new person in the group versus the other people who are the well-beaten path. And who knows what I mean, so much of this situation in severance is feels like an experiment. Like they feel like they're rats in like in a literal maze. Right. They they don't know they have they're like trying to make maps of this maze to find out like when they're going through hallways the hallways look like mazes their tasks that they're given seem so like like just so weird they don't un uncomprehensible they don't know like everything about how everybody's being treated in this severance thing feels like they are mice being experimented on right how these mice respond to negative reinforcement in the break room how these mice respond to the positive reinforcement in the wellness check having a studying 
w- how the newer mice respond in this maze versus the mice that have been there for a long time. Right? And and there's a lot of scenes. There's cameras everywhere constantly being observed by the quote-unquote scientists. You have Cobell always on her computer monitor in her office watching surveillance film of things that are going on, constantly being observed. Right? And Pete is the mouse that got out. So they need to track that down. But as far as Miss Casey, her thing, why she's watching Heli, that's what it feels like. Like they're trying to learn something about the process of the severance lifestyle, the the overall experiment that they, they feel they can learn more from observing Heli specifically than the other people would be my guess as to what her ominous answer means what she's trying to do uh cut two helis in the bathroom washing the makeup off of her neck to expose the bruises that she sustained from hanging herself uh when she leaves casey is waiting for her out miss casey's waiting for her outside you know asking her you know what her feelings were while she was in there uh mark in an attempt to get miss casey off of heli's back pretends to spill coffee on kate miss casey's notebook accidentally like clearly he did it on purpose uh uh dylan just instantly with the jokes i mean not jokes but asking mark if he's drunk it's like you're probably drunk what did your mouth taste like when you got into work today? Like you just assuming, just always assuming the the kind of the funniest thing. I I love Dylan a lot. It's a bummer his paranoia with with O and D, but it is kind of understandable, especially since that painting showed up. Um, and then so they, Miss Casey needs to go get more notebooks. She has to go to the. Uh, just distributions uh distribution supply area and she wants heli to go and mark's like no she can stay here it's okay you can go it'll just be like it'll just be a few minutes and and miss casey's like oh no it's eight minutes round trip like robotic she knows exactly the amount of time it takes to go from the mdr department to the uh the uh distribution supply center and back but mark's trying to get Miss Casey away from Heli so she can have some a breath of fresh air and then also maybe get a chance to talk to her to see how she's doing instead of putting this added pressure of this constant analysis, somebody breathing down your neck. And, of course, Dylan hitting on Miss Casey when she offered the hug thing earlier. Uh, Dylan, you know, it's like, hey, you give me a hug if that's available. Like Dylan hitting on Casey constantly. Kind of funny. Kind of funny. He like asks if she needs a hand going to the the thing. So Mark asks Helly to, you know, makes up an excuse. I need to go get pen caps, which is stupid. Probably in reference to the fact that she tried to use a pen cap to smuggle in a message. Uh, but clearly trying to get Heli to go on a walk with him so he can talk to her, have a conversation with her, 
just try to open up to her as a human being as opposed to trying to put on kind eyes, trying to be this corporate messenger. So she finally gets the hint, and they go on a walk. Uh, cut two, we see Casey walking back from the uh, distribution supply, and she sees Bert in a conference room. Uh, could potentially be the same. Con- it looked like the conference room they found the uh, the book, Rickon's book, in the last episode. Uh, but we see Bert in the conference room kind of pacing, talking to himself. Uh, Miss Casey notices that on her way back to the office. Uh, so while Mark and Helly are on the on their walk, you know, Mark asks her how she's doing, and she doesn't really want to, uh, really want to uh, answer that. Really, join Inspired Disorder Plus today. Head on over to inspireddisorder.com/plus to join. Membership includes members-only discounts and deals. You get access to the Ray Taylor Show completely ad-free, as well as bonus episodes. You get access to the complete live painting archive. You also get access to every single podcast ever produced by Inspired Disorder, hosted by Ray Taylor. You get access to Ray Taylor's personal blog, as well as the opportunity to ask me any questions. So if you want to start a podcast, you're into art, ask me anything. And so many more things are being added every day to Inspire Disorder Plus. So sign up today, become a member, head on over to inspiredisorder.com slash plus and become an Inspire Disorder Plus member today. So Mark, to, in, a, in an effort to open up, tells Heli that sh- he shows her this map that he's starting to redraw. I was like, look, I, I do care. I do care. I'm trying to redraw this map, that P- Petey's map. And she's like, don't, I'm not your new Petey, Mark. Like, this is not who, like, I, I know you're trying to bond with me, but I have no desire to be here. I have no desire to get to know anybody here. And it's like his attempts are so transparent because he's not very, like, it's just, it's, it's Mark is a wreck. Mark is a wreck. And all she wants is to feel, she wants her Audi to feel the life leave her body. That's like, her only goal now in life is to make her Audi suffer and to feel that suffering, right? She has a ultimate vendetta against her Audi self, which is clear. I mean, she tried to kill herself. And as they're walking, they hear like this baby kind of sound so they go to investigate this sound and they come across this room that is like full of these goats they see this goat these baby goats and there's this guy in there feeding these baby goats with a bottle and he's like they're not ready yet they're not ready yet you gotta leave like so weird now could be the i mean one of as they leave heli's like it, maybe the goats are the numbers right just one of many potential theories of what the numbers are that they're doing uh mark doesn't seem to believe that that's what they're there for uh could potentially be the crying baby that 
Dylan heard on the other side of the wall of the break room, potentially. Like maybe these baby goats are used as manipulation in some way. I don't know. It is very weird. The only thing that I can think of that would relate to anything is that Dylan, when he was in the break room, or after Helly got out, but and she mentioned that she heard voices on the other side of the door, uh, Dylan heard babies crying on the other side of the door. So, And when the, they first heard the sound, it kind of sounded like a baby. Either way, there's baby goats <laughs> for some reason, and the guy who's in charge of, of feeding them is somewhat protective of these baby goats and is fast to let them know that they're not ready yet. Whatever these goats are going to be used for, they're not ready yet. Maybe the goats are being used to test products. Who knows? Random goats. So cut to Casey gets back to the MDR department. She lets Bert know that she or she lets Irving know uh, that she saw Bert in the conference room. So Bert or so Irving and Dylan go to the conference room. Dylan locking Bert inside the conference room, right? Because Dylan is concerned and paranoid about the O and D department. He saw the painting. Uh, he doesn't trust Bert whatsoever. Clearly, Irving has a little, you know, is smitten with Bert. There's a little relationship brewing between the two of them. Irving, after the doors get locked, Irving's like freaking out because he's always by the book and Dylan is flying off the handles and he's like waving at the cameras. We need a manager. He's running around these these areas trying to track down a manager because Dylan is is doing something that shouldn't be done. Uh, and they go back and talk to Bert and Bert's like, oh, I was trying to work out a joke. I was going to come and c try and smooth things over. I know things may have gotten weird when we held hands or whatever. And you know, Irving's like, no, 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 no. Dylan pulls Irving aside. And he's like, are you two, like, are you two a thing? And Dylan is not okay with that. He doesn't accept that. He doesn't, uh, doesn't like the fact that they're together. Not because they're two men, but because, which is good, which is because he still doesn't trust O&D. He's like, why would you trust this guy from O&D? And then they go back and talk to Bert, and Bert's like, oh, yeah, we have jokes about you guys. And, like, one of the things that – one of the theories they think of the MDR group is that you guys have pouches and that you have, like, these larvae that live inside of your pouches and that, that your larvae eventually eat your, your host and they become you, which is kind of an interesting – I mean, crazy – I mean, just as creative of an idea that Dylan would have came up with, but also in a lot of ways somewhat of a metaphor for the fact that, like, the innie and Audi relationship that peop these people have, and maybe that is a sign. You know, PD mentioned that there's a department where people are just innies full-time, 24-7, and maybe that is what, ends up happening to people who are severed that eventually the severed version of themselves takes over right as the larva eats the host until it takes over 
Maybe. Very weird, but also very funny. Irving laughed at it. The fact that they would have jokes or uh, they, w- they would have pouches. Uh, Bert doesn't believe that that painting they saw was real. He's never seen it before. Of course, Dylan doesn't believe that. Uh, Bert invites them to go to the storeroom, right? Because Dylan's like, listen, Irving saw the storeroom in O&D where there are, you know, six more people working. Like, we already know you're lying to us. And Bert invites them. It's like, listen, I'll show you the, you know, come to the storeroom. I'll show you. So they end up going to the O&D department. Dylan's walking around going, like, why am I even here? Like, I am in enemy territory. He looks in one of the drawers and finds the painting that Bert says doesn't exist. Brings it out, shows it to Bert, and Bert points out that the painting is different. The original painting shows that the MDR guys were the one that were killing people, that were in charge of the coup. The badges are different. So it's clearly propaganda i mean we it's a painting first off so we don't know if that ever happened right they could have created that painting in an effort to keep departments separate from each other a long time ago and maybe it was from keeping o and d from socializing with the mdr crew and now that the mdr crew is going the other way they changed the image to kind of scare off the mdr crew but it's clear they're in a world that is being manipulated by these people, by Lumen. S- specifically designed by Lumen. They have their religious handbook that they live by. They have their rules. They have their, the institutional kind of bureaucracy of, of all of the things that they have to do. So it's, it's not crazy that... And th- the paintings all have, like, these messages. They all have these meanings. So it's, it's not crazy that this would be one of many forms of propaganda to control people. So Bert takes them into the storeroom where everybody that's working kind of pauses and looks and is like concerned because there's two people from MDR in there. And Bert introduces them. This is Irving and Dylan from MDR. These are my friends, right? So introduces them as friends. Because clearly, by the look on their faces, they are not trusting of MDR just as Dylan, especially Dylan, isn't trusting of them. So it seems there's some mutual respect getting off on a better foot in this in this instance especially for dylan who's been so anti uh o and d so cut back to mark and heli are still walking down these hallways casey finds them mark tells her that they were on a mental health walk but the whole time cobell watching the monitor has been watching and assumably potentially listening to Mark and Helly, she potentially knows that they found the goats, whatever the fuck the goats are. 
she knows that potentially she knows that there's a map situation. She knows that, you know, that Heli, what she wants to do potentially to her Audi. So Kilbell is is kind of monitoring this whole thing. Grainer comes in the door, opens the door, and and is talking to her about, did you see what's going on? Do you see, why are you letting them walk around? Let's play that last clip. You aware what MDR is up to right now? I thought that's what you were paid for. You're not stopping it. The surest way to tame a prisoner is to let him believe he's free. There's a cure quote for everything. How many more departments are you going to let them find? I'll have a word with Mark. I would be careful. Upstairs wouldn't look kindly on this. Yes, Daddy. You can talk to me when you figure out who hacked Kilmer's chip. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with that. First off, they could be talking about two different situations. It sounds like Rainer is talking about uh, about Irving and Dylan over at O&D, where it's clear that Cobell is talking about Mark and Heli. Either way, the, f- the, the idea of, you know, pretending, acting like they're free, uh, even though they're prisoners, they know they're prisoners, is, uh, is interesting. And her calling him daddy... Like, I don't know if they have a thing, right? Because it's, it's, it's not like she said, okay, dad, like he is talking to her like she's a child. It's more like a sexual type of usage of that word, daddy. So that's, uh, the, Cobell is a weird person inside work. Selvig on the outside makes a lot of sense, right? Kind of fits in with the whole hippy dippy thing. But Cobell, all of her answers are like these quotes, which, you know, Grainer points out that, she, you know, got an Egan quote for everything or Kier quote for everything. You know, she just don't mind what I'm doing. Focus on your job. Figure out who hacked Petey's chip. But it's clear Co- Grainer knows that she's up to something. She's doing something. Like, Cobell is doing a lot of things on her own. Like, she has gone rogue in a lot of ways with this whole situation. Like, she is... Like, there's a potential for the board to find out what she's doing and to... Big changes could happen. But she's clearly doing something, trying to let them feel free. And just kind of a a crazy thing, because it really feels like they're talking about two separate things, right? It feels like Rainer is talking about the O&D people. I mean, they're kind of both one and the same, you know. But either way, uh, it's interesting that they are aware, like, all these people kind of think that they are doing their stuff without the management knowing. Even though there's cameras everywhere. But... Interesting. Interesting. That's how it ends. Obviously, we don't entirely specifically know what the 266 is. I'm assuming it's like a propaganda push. You know, pushing out a piece of propaganda in order to control a situation. Um, but yeah. Uh, interesting. What are the goats about? Who knows? Are they mice in a trap? In a, in a maze? 
if it really feels like they are who knows all these things what are they doing at OND why is there this this secret thing how are they going to respond to this new department that they're meeting how is Dylan going to change his opinion on OND since he was the one who was super against it how is Helly going to deal with Miss Casey constantly writing her Although it did feel, you know, she offered to clean up Mark's map because his drawing was garbage. So it does feel like they were able to bond on this walk. That Mark was able to get to her a little bit. And that they will be able to work together on some level. And maybe Mark reading the book, Rickon's book, the any Mark reading Rickon's book, will help him bond with his co-workers and kind of help him rally the troops against the people who are the maze runners anyway that was this episode of severance next episode is episode six hide and seek interesting title but uh some kind of interesting things going on in this seeing how controlled they are and obviously it really feels like they it is just all an experiment this whole thing is an experiment possibly for for the company lumen to show that they are able to do like control people in a way who knows uh but it definitely feels like they are mice in a maze and uh or rats in a maze and um, they're just being experimented on constantly. So, anyway, that's it. Episode 5, The Grim Barbarity of Optics and Design. New episodes of The Ray Taylor Show come out every single day. Subscribe on YouTube and everywhere our podcasts are found. Binge the full week over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. Buy Ray Taylor Show merch over at InspiredDisorder.com. And follow the show on Instagram at Ray Taylor Show. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Peace. Ouch! Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.